What I want to talk about this morning really is going to ultimately come out of Habakkuk, out of the Old Testament. One thing, as I was teaching through the Minor Prophets in the Acts class, Habakkuk kind of stuck out. I think he stuck out in all of us. I was even asking Pat, going, okay, I've got an opportunity to teach. I've been doing the Minor Prophets, which one? And I think we all had the consensus of Habakkuk. Habakkuk does something I think is kind of amazing. He asks God a question. He's a very frustrated individual. And I think what I learned from him is the fact that we hit a lot of points of frustration. We don't see God moving. We don't see him moving fast enough. We don't get answers fast enough. And I think one of our problems is we deny going to God first. And we try to answer to ourselves. We try to find answers. Or we grumble at God. Or we grumble to other people that God's not doing things. And I don't see that in Habakkuk. I see a man who just plows straight into God. Frustrated is all you can get out, right? But he's honest and sincere. He's not playing games. He's not ouching it. I was under the ministry of Rick Holland for quite a few years at Grace Community Church. Learned a lot from the brother. And one of the biggest things, another brother was talking, and he said, one of the things I love about Rick is the fact that I can go into him with whatever is going on and say it however it's come out, I don't worry about couching it. Rick just says, get it out, deal with it. What is it? And again, I see that in Habakkuk. But what I want to do too, and you guys are going to have a Bible drill today, so aim for 1 Kings. Okay, start looking for 1 Kings. You can't really drop into a minor prophet and not have some kind of a background. And I'm not going to assume that everybody's got the same understanding of the Old Testament and what's going on, but... We do have a period called the United Kingdom. That's where the 12 tribes are together as one under a king. Then we had something happen and you have a divided kingdom. It's funny, I have asked a few people, not necessarily this morning, but in time, and said, when did that occur? Who did it? Who was what? Who went where? How many are in the north? How many are in the south? And they kind of look at me with that, huh? Deer caught in the headlight look. No, the other one. But what I want to do is let's go to 1 Kings, chapter 11, and I'm going to be a madman reading as fast as I can because there's a lot to cover. But I want to give you a hint, because the minor prophets are dealing with divided kingdom. Some are dealing with Israel in the north, some are dealing with Judah in the south. You have to understand what's happening, what's going on. So let's go 1 Kings, chapter 11, start with verse 26. And you have Jeroboam is our first major character. So we start in verse 26. Then Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and Ephraimite of uh, Zeradah, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was... I'm not going to go through these names. You guys play with it. This is going to kill me. A widow, okay? Also rebelled against the king. Now this was the reason why he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the Milo, and closed up the breach of the city of his father David. Now, the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior, and when Solomon saw that young man was industrious, he appointed him over all, notice the statement, forced labor of the house of Joseph. It came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Interesting encounter. 
He clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and tore it into twelve pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes, but he will have one tribe. For the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Situation. We sometimes think Solomon was a great king. We're getting a lot of information here that Solomon was not great. Solomon was a harsh ruler. He put his own people into hard labor. He was a tough king. And you get this understanding as it moves forward that Jeroboam gets this information to say that I'm going to give you ten tribes and there's now you got to catch. How many tribes do we have total? Twelve. And we have ten. What did it say in the text? And they will receive what? What's missing? One. Okay, this is why when you study the word you got to dig a little bit. Why is it one? Well, okay, sometimes you see the tribe of Judah, and that's it. And you think, well, where's the twelfth one? The twelfth one was so small that when you said tribe of Judah, it was combined. And anybody know what that one little tribe is, the teeny one? Benjamin, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, the Benjamites. Interesting thing there is when you said Judah, you're saying Judah and Benjamin. Also, there was one other group. They did not possess land. They did not own anything. You also have the Levitical priesthood was part of that area of Judah. So you have those three groups, but two tribes in the south, ten tribes in the north. Okay? Everyone got that? Not hard. Not difficult. So Jeroboam tells Solomon what he was informed. Well, what's Solomon's response? He's enraged. Now he tries to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam, with the wisdom of his mind, says, I've got to get out of here. So in 1 Kings 11.40, Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt. And he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. All right, I've got to move faster here. Solomon dies. His son, <laughs> this is the part that always is like, who's where? A to B to B to A. You got Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam is a servant of Solomon. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. You guys will never forget that. Amazing thing there, he takes over. So the people actually come, and I'm going to abbreviate this, the people actually come before Rehoboam, and said, your father was hard, hard on us. Made us work hard. It was painful, miserable. As you being our new king, we asked that you would lighten the load. And the interesting thing there is the idea is lighten the load so you would, what? The people would follow you better. There would be a quick take 
of your new, new position, new office. So you think Rehoboam's moving correctly. Rehoboam then goes to his father's advisors, these senior men, and asks them what to do. With wisdom, they say this would be a great opportunity for you to entrench yourself deeply with the people. Yes, your father had a huge load on these people, but you could lighten the load. And you'd win the hearts of the people. They would follow you faithfully without begrudging anything that you're doing. He goes, hmm, thanks. Then what's he do? Big major error. Actually, one of the biggest major errors that anybody that's young is going to do. He went to his peers. His peers, kids his own age might say, said, nah, I think what you ought to do is ramp it up. Be even harder on them. Get more out of these people. So he tells the people, literally, come back in a few days. I'll give you my answer. They come back, and he takes his peer advice. And he says, no, it's going to be greater. Now you're starting to see the friction. People are just gone. By the time that you have this situation, you also have Jeroboam's back in the scene. He's come back from Egypt. And the people are kind of following him because he sees that it's been too intense. So he moves, and really what happens is the kingdom is split. Ten go to the north, two remain in the south. The ones in the north go with Jeroboam, and the south is now controlled by Rehoboam. But the interesting thing is, go to 1 Kings 12. It would not be a bad thing to have a split kingdom if the king Rehoboam was obedient to God and trusted him. Verse 26, notice this phrase. Jeroboam said in his heart, That's where you're taking counsel of yourself. Not going to God, you're doing self-counsel. That's a killer. He says this, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me. And return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. This is what he's saying. I can't have these people go back to Jerusalem. i got to work a deal out here because this thing could... I, I lose my king position. Here's what he does. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. Wow, does that ever have some interesting backlash on it. Did we have a golden calf somewhere after the... Exit out of Egypt, pagan worship. And he said to them, now this is is amazing, it is too much, poor people, I'm really thinking of you. You know, I'm your good king, and I just really understand the travel is difficult. So I'm I'm really compassionate and understand. No, okay? This is the game he's playing. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods. O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt, He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Here's what he did. 
you've got your ten tribes, you have your northern kingdom, close to the border of the kingdom, he sets up two pagan worship centers so they don't have to go to Jerusalem. And it's a shorter trip. Think about how wonderful this king is. No, what has he done? He has now set up false worship of false gods. The deterioration now will start to continue. They've not been faithful to God and trusting God, and this just amplifies it. So what you have now is the start, really, of the period as we move into it, the period of the prophets, where the prophets are used by God specifically, called people to repent and to return to Him. Now, I've been teaching the, the 12 minor prophets. Now remember, minor doesn't mean they're insignificant. Who cares? Why in the world did we waste the ink and print of the last 12 books of the Old Testament? They're not minor as being insignificant. They're minor in smaller, but they're intense. We've got Malachi this week coming up. It's amazing how intense these men are, very specific to the issue of calling the people back to God to repent. And we'll focus in on Habakkuk, but I want to give you an idea that the minor prophets have been making the same statement all the way through, consistently, calling the people, calling them back, calling them to examine their life, to turn from their ways, turn to God. You get one example, you get Hosea. time of Hosea was interesting. The Assyrian nation was a little bit diffused, things were a little lower, they weren't attacking so much. It was very luxurious living. People were living at a great time. The revenue was high. The market was great. Everything was phenomenal. What happens to you and I when things are going great? Let me ask you if it's like myself. When things are going great, what's your prayer life like? As intense as it always is? How about the intensity of being in the Word? Digging and mining out the beauty and the, and the message from God. See, the people in Hosea's day, as he's dealing with them, he's confronting them because they're at leisure. They're at peace. It's wonderful. What are they focusing on, God? Themselves. Exactly. You and I do that so quick. It's too fast how we do it. Again, they had a period of freedom, national security, and believe it or not, the people had a religious shallowness. Extremely corrupt. Now, I hate to get personal on this, but how many times have you come to church? Because that's what you always do. Was that religious living that's shallow? Do you come... No matter who's teaching, say, the Word's being open. I want to feed on it. Or do you come and go through the motions? Just do your thing. When you leave, do you take the Word with you and chew on it all week going, I want to mine every bit of this out and in? Or do you just go home? Now ask yourself the same question I ask myself. Um, after lunch. Okay, this is a good time to check yourself. What was the message on this morning? 
What were the main points? Can you recall them? <laughs> I hear that. I mean, you get the same, you're like, <laughs> yeah. What do we need to do? We need to take notes. We need to chew on it. We need to take it with us. We need to memorize it. Stay in the Word. See, you'd never think about it. When the prophets were speaking, that is the Word of God. And the people that they were called to, whether it's Northern Kingdom or Southern Kingdom, they were called to repent, called to respond to God's Word. What do they do? They tried to get rid of them. Tried to get rid of the prophets. We've got old tradition that says that Isaiah was what? Son and two. I'm sorry. That's just bad. But what's really going on? Hosea is the most amazing book, and it's the most difficult book to go through because Hosea is told by God that he's going to marry someone, Gomer. But Gomer is going to be unfaithful. But you be faithful no matter what. And it's a pageant. It's a play. Hosea will be playing the part of God to communicate the message, and Gomer will be playing the part of Israel. She's unfaithful. Gomer's. Gomer's unfaithful. Hosea's faithful. Even to the point when she's off, she's down in like second or third guy. And God says, she has need, talking to Hosea. Hosea, take what she needs, go and give it to her. And you and I are going, uh, huh? So he has clothing and food, and he goes to, finds the guy that she's with, and says, are you with Gomer? The guy goes, yeah, 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 what's your point? Who are you? Oh, I'm Hosea. I'm her husband. And the guy's, who knows? We don't get a lot of picture behind it, but it's like probably, as you would think, huh? This is for her. Make sure she has it. That is so absolute of what God continually does and takes care of us and is always continually faithful. And how many times are we so unfaithful? So he uses Hosea to call his people back. Look at Hosea 4, 1 through 6, just as a reference. And again, it's, a, it's an interesting statement in there. They are living with no knowledge of God. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Can you imagine that? How can you be so intensified by religion around you that you have no knowledge of God? Because it's religion. I have people sometimes at work ask me, well, what religion are you? I said, well, I'm really not into a religion because that's just kind of man-made and it's very easy to, to do it. Really what I am is I'm in a relationship with the living God. That makes some interesting faces go, 
Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, again, the call goes out. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. And he has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days, and he will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. What's going on? Know him. They have a false repentance, which is sad. Hit Dr. Boyce in one of his commentaries with Hosea. He comes up, and I, I thought, yeah, this is a little bit like us. So the problem is that the evangelical movement in America in the 20th century is shallow. It speaks of salvation, but it does not grapple with sin. And since it does not grapple with sin, there can be no true repentance. I am often asked whether we are witnessing a revival today. And I always answer that we are not. We are seeing many persons converted. To that extent, I take the Gallup poll seriously. But there is no revival and will be no revival until there is an acute awareness of sin and a genuine, notice this, turning from it. Until that happens, any national profession of faith will be hollow, and the country will continue to decline, just as Israel did. Apart from the Word, we will decay. If you're not in the Word, in your own personal study, and your hunger for it, you're decaying. You're rotting with sin. Next one I'd look at would be Joel. God judges the people by sending locusts to devastate the land. And God is dealing with Israel. Again, we're dealing with the northern kingdom. Now, in my class, I had to do a little digging because I've never seen a locust infestation or invasion. Interesting, there was one in Jerusalem, in Palestine, that was, I want to say 1915. That was a long time ago we studied that, right? About 1915, if you do a lookup on it, it's pretty amazing to sit there and understand. They had some pictures of of what the devastation was before and after. You're talking about absolutely everything that was green, anything that could have been green, anything that was, is gone. And return the land back to dirt. It's amazing how fast this, as they cycle through the maturation of locusts, how fast and how the volume that they can consume. It was mind-boggling. And this is the, the backdrop that Joel is using to remind them, you think the land was devastated, you want to see what God is going to do to you because of your sin? So there's a call to repentance in Joel 2.12. He said, yet even now declares the Lord, return. Notice this phrase, return to me, return to me, return to me, return to me. Declares the Lord, return to me with all, all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rent your heart and not your garments. That is an amazing statement. Tear your garments, mourn because... No, no, no. Rent what? Your heart. 
All right, here's a stinky little thought. When you sin, are you alone? You're not alone. God is there. He examines the heart. He knows the heart. He knows the intent of the heart. He knows where you're, he knows every inch that's going on 24/7, 365 for your whole life every every moment. You cannot sin in silence. You cannot sin in secret. For God knows. He sees. He is there. You ever wonder how that comes up when you sit there and realize in your head, God is what? Omnipresent. He's always everywhere. That's with your sin. He's omniscient. That means He knows everything about your sin. And He says the most beautiful statement, return to me. So Amos is another one. Amos again is dealing with Israel, the top ten. Amos 1-2, God has been Israel's shepherd and Amos is a sheep herder himself. I like the personal statement. But here God is now, look at the beginning, is now a lion of Israel. God is angry. Then the, the promise of judgment for against Judah is in Amos 2, 4 through 5. And then if you get further down, Amos 2, 6 through 16, is God's anger and his judgment against Israel. But every single time you hear these judgments, there's also something that always comes behind. God will restore. God will restore. He will restore. So let's do a real quick run into Habakkuk. Guys will probably, by the time we get done, probably end up going, wow, I didn't know these 12 books were here in the last, yeah. Actually, I think, was it you, Pat, that we were talking and you, you grew up and someone pronounced it Habakkuk? So there's all kinds of flavors, right? Like the Italian prophet, the last one we'll stay is Malachi, right? <laughs> that short prophet we always like talking about, Nehemiah. Are these the first time you guys have heard? I'm sorry, I got these things back in the 60s, so I'm using old material, sorry. You know what? Today you and I see in our world extreme violence. I mean, it's just intense. Everywhere. Not only in man, but the California fires are extreme. I mean, they're, they're blowing our mind in the fact that, I mean, we used to live there, and fires were kind of common, but these are out of control. The devastation is huge. But let me ask you this. Have you ever asked God why things are happening the way they're happening? Have you ever talked to him and said, when, when is this thing going to get done? When are you going to take control of this? This is nuts. Are you, are you even, oh, God, are you around? Are you awake? Maybe he's slumbering, like the critics say. Let's see, Habakkuk's the guy that I enjoy so much because when he has frustration and questions, he goes straight to God. He's not griping about God, he's going to God. God wants us to go to him, return to me, return to me. Go to him and talk. So go to Habakkuk chapter 1. 
He asked God a very strong question as he is frustrated with what God has been allowed to continue that is unabated. To give you a quick understanding, it's wickedness. It's sin, rampant sin all over the place. The justice system is corrupt to the max. The poor people are getting taken advantage of. They're losing their homes because someone says, I want that home, I'll just take it. They work out legal schemes. There's all kinds of junk. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, they're getting taken. There's sin everywhere. It's it's horrid. And Habakkuk asks the question that I think we need to learn how to ask. He goes, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear, I cry out to you, violence! Yet you do not save. Why do you make me so see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Isn't that a perfect description? Kind of sounds a little bit like today. Sounds a lot like today. Are you shocked? A man of God like that asking that kind of a question of God? Interesting statement. Godly men, those who trust God, do question God. Habakkuk is not going to someone else, and he's not bad-mouthing God, nor is he just grumbling about the situation and doing nothing. He's going to God. If you learn anything out of Habakkuk, you have a question, you have an issue, you have frustration, you go to God and wait for the answer. Do you go to someone else and ask what they think about what's going on? Or do you go to God? God's answer, not the one that Habakkuk I think was Going for Habakkuk 1.5. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. Because I am doing something in your days, you would not believe if you were told. <laughs> You're right. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places, which are not theirs, They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. This is not a good description, folks. And you're kind of going, Habakkuk's going, but but when are you going to do something about this sin? God continues. And rulers are a laughing matter to them, and they laugh at every fortress. They heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like a wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. (laughs) Babylonians? Coming at you? I like his response to God. They're worse than we are. 
what in the world, God? I don't understand. I love it. Again, what's he do? He doesn't understand. Where does he go? Back to God. He seeks God for the answer. He's staying on God. He goes, I trust you. I don't understand it. I need a little bit more understanding. I need some help. Now he moves forward and he says, you, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. That's true. See, what God would use, he would use the Gentile nations as a tool of God's discipline. But the Gentile nations would be disciplined by Gentile nations when they got out of control. Yes, he called the Babylonians, but the Babylonians took it to their head and were extreme, far beyond what God accepted as a discipline. So then you would see Medo-Persia, Persia, and everything continually going on. Yep, Robert? What is the Chaldeans? Chaldeans and the Babylonians are your same group. It's just what angle, where you're looking at historically, and where you're looking at through their genealogy. That makes sense? I know, I good catch. This is, see, tricky, little word stuff, right? Look at verse 12. Habakkuk is clear that he knows that God is sovereign and immutable. In the fact that God does not change, it is clear that the promises of God to his people are still valid and active. The promises are still sure. I love it. We will not die is a strong statement to sit there and say, we will not be eliminated, we will not be annihilated, we will be there. We will be disciplined. Verse 13, he says, he understands that God is holy. And a holy God hates sin and will punish sin. But again, he goes, but the Babylonians, the Chaldeans... They eat their young. They sacrifice their young. What's the deal? They're horrid. And God reminds them, says, yes, I'm disciplining, but I will, dis- what's he say? I will discipline them. Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4, he's still confused, but he goes to God and he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. Has he left God? Has he abandoned God? Has he say no? He stayed with God. And he knows God will give an answer. And then chapter 3. And again, these are, these are the pieces that start making me wake up in my own thinking. First, he goes to God with a question because of his frustration. He doesn't understand what's going on. He goes to God. He seeks an answer. God gives him an answer. It wasn't the one he was thinking of. And you and I have hit those, right? We get an answer from God and we go, oh, that's got to be the wrong one because that, that's not what I, what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know how that goes. But the most beautiful thing is he stays, he goes back to God and goes, I need understanding. I accept your statement, your answer. I trust you, God. See, that's, that's a man who has full trust and faith in God. Even though what you think around you is chaos and crazy, you stay on God that keeps you focused. Chapter 3 is where it just gets even more intense. So you have the question set. He stays and gets more understanding. But yet he's never badmouthed God. He trusts God. And in chapter 3 he does something you and I don't do enough of. 
in the midst of chaos, in the midst of craziness, he praises God in the whole chapter. Habakkuk, verses 1 and 2, Habakkuk is fully aware that God's judgment is coming, and he's aware that he will see those he knows and loves being killed, and he's fully aware that he himself will probably be killed. But in that light, he still praises God. He doesn't veer one minute to the next. He's dead center on God through the whole point. He praises God's majesty and power in 3 through 15, but in 16 through 19, he's going to wait on the Lord. Wait. How many times do you and I wait? I didn't get the answer in five minutes. I'm out of here. Well, it's been a year. I've been praying about this thing for a year. and I, Really? What? That's not waiting on God. Waiting on God is staying on God forever. He says, I heard and my inward parts trembled and the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the days of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. See, he's, he's aware that this is coming. Though the fig trees should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, devastation, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the field produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet, he's fully aware of what's going on. What's he say? Yet I exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. Praise. Did he get a full answer? Did he get the answer he wanted? No. Did he stay on God? Yes. Did he praise God in the midst of disaster, knowing that there's doom coming? Yes. What do we do? We should be doing the same thing. Staying on God. Resting in him, trusting him. Whether it's chaos or not, that's the only stable point. You ever realize when chaos is around you, you start focusing on chaos, what are you wrapped into? Chaos. And it starts blowing your mind. But you stay focused on God, dead center on that, what do you see? Chaos? No. You see a sovereign God who's in control. My question for you is, are you more like Habakkuk? Honest about your questions, but you're trusting God no matter what the answer is. And you will wait and you will stay and you will praise Him because He's the only one worthy of praise. Trust in God. Remember, what are you supposed to do? Lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because all your ways are chaos, but on Him there is truth and answer. Be in His Word. Be in prayer. Ask the hard questions of him. Let's pray. Father, a fast, quick history lesson of your people. Points where they were deteriorating and falling apart and worshiping other gods and adulterous living, not being faithful to you at all, but yet you continually called them to return to you.
At the same time, we get a a man that speaks for you, but at this point with Habakkuk's life, he asks a question, he's frustrated, he doesn't see anything changing, nothing's going for the good, sin is rampant. But he asks you the question, you give him the hard answer, but the most beautiful thing is he continually stays on you, he trusts you, and his praise for you in the midst of calamity, in the midst of disaster, in the midst of rampant sin, he praises you because you're the only one worthy of praise and he trusts you. Father, give us a strong understanding of this text. Help us to take this away and learn to trust you no matter what the answer is. God, you are faithful, loving, caring, and always true to your promise, for you are always consistent. God, help us to be mindful of our relationship to you and our love for you. We love you and thank you so much for today and ask that you would open our hearts for the word and the text of Scripture the rest of the day. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.